You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm Eli Steenlidge, and with me is... Jeremy Holiday. We also have with us today David Klein, a special friend of the podcast who's joining us as a guest. How's it going today, David? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. So David is also a film aficionado, so we're glad to have him join us for our top stuff of the year our best best of 2017 best of 2017 whatever uh yeah it'll be good to have somebody else uh, joining in our list and i think you've seen a couple things that jeremy and i did not get to see yeah and there's a few variations on our list um but some other good things to talk about together whenever we do these kind of episodes which i guess has really been only one other time last year I like to think about like what sort of trends or maybe themes for the year before we kind of dig into stuff. And I think there was a lot of interesting things happening this year for me, and maybe you guys can chime in. Uh, I think there was this sort of social commentary happening um, in film, at least as far as like became more mainstream or easier for filmmakers or people on TV to kind of share those stories. So specifically, something like Get Out, I think, made quite a big splash this year. Uh, I think in general, from some of our picks, we may see that people that are not just normal white guys in the leads that we get to see, people of um, people of color, different backgrounds, um, different religions, all different areas that get a little bit more of the uh, the focus and, and the leads. And also a big step up for women. I think there is some great roles and also some women filmmakers uh, that I want to highlight some too. Did you guys kind of think that is bigger or is it just because of what's happening in the news in our country uh, that we're just thinking about it? More? And our culture and other large things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The news I, is great. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. It was a great year. It's, it's totally. And it's, it's the greatest year in human history, I hear. Right. Uh, and I don't know if it's just the films that I watch, but like mm-hmm. things that are on our list, which we'll talk about later, like uh, I Am Not Your Negro, you know, mm-hmm. about James Baldwin, um, uh, the, the prominent splash about Get Out, um, The Big Sick, which I thought was great, yeah. um, kind of like my big fat Greek wedding, but Muslim. Um, I, there was definitely like the, the majority of things I saw were – with interesting new people about interesting new, mm-hmm. very modern ideas. Yeah. Um, which was exciting. I mean, I, I haven't yet probably complained on the podcast about how much I dislike watching stolid period pieces that are supposed <laughs> to make me feel very deep, complex, white emotions. That's what wins um, awards, Jeremy. Yeah, I know. Like atonement. Um, uh, and so I was just – it was a really – Fun. When I looked back at the films that I watched this year, I was like, "Oh, this is a, is, is a pretty fun mix of films yeah. um, that had a lot of different things to offer." I feel like, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, and Get Out. I mean, like, um, I haven't seen it, um, but when I read about it, I was like, oh, "It was pretty interesting," and I was, uh, I was excited mm-hmm. about how um, much attention it got. Yeah, because I mean, one of one of like the great wounds. 
uh, or things that I am grumpy about mm-hmm. is like when the uh, is the year that um, Crash won for Best Picture because mm-hmm. I. Ugh. Hated it. I think it's a white supremacist film. It was also the same year that Brokeback Mountain was was out, yeah. which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I know I love Ang Lee, and I'm an Ang Lee fanboy, <laughs> but it's just a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. And Crash was just trash. Um, and I was like, I can't believe you guys. Like, so I, I always I got this like chip on my shoulder about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was happy to see uh, the like the, the critical focus um, taking a lot of things that would have been B class. You know, ten years ago, mm-hmm. um, and focused on just because you know, this is just a black movie, or like this is just yeah. a Muslim movie. People are talking in the critical sphere, you know, both uh, online and you know, and sort of more publicly about all the other elements of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just exciting, yeah, um, and and fun to see, and it just it felt a little bit different. Um, and even looking at like what got a lot of Oscar nominations this year, um, you know, I it's I was surprised at at how. What I liked aligned a little bit more with what um, critical acclaim was. Yeah, that seems on. to be the general sentiment this year that the Oscars are doing a little better with their with their nominations, at least. David, did you did you notice anything like that when you're watching f- films this year? Or uh... so first first of all, can we make Crash is Trash a hashtag? Can we just <laughs> yeah, get that right. going on I think social media? Even recently, the director was like, "Yeah, I really shouldn't have won for that." Um, <laughs> I think he also might be caught up in the sexual scandals happening. In oh Hollywood, yeah, so, big time. Yeah. I just to piggyback off what you guys were saying. You know, there's a, a lot of similarities I think uh, between our lists and in terms of what resonated with us from 2017. Obviously, Get Out and The Big Sick were both huge, both in terms of just I think being quality pieces of cinema, but also. Yeah. You know, again, getting that representation like both of you guys talked about in the Oscars and the Golden Globes. And while a lot of these stories and these perspectives have obviously been around for a while, I think it is important to note that, you know, as slow as it has been for Ampus and all these other uh, cinematic bodies to finally catch up with 2017, we are sorting, starting to see those changes, I think, throughout the industry and its infrastructure. I mean, I look at, you know, I mean, Jordan Peele just got a deal with what uh, a Twilight Zone reboot, which is really exciting, putting, yeah. you know, a person of color at the forefront of that. Ava DuVernay has just sort of uh, blown up blown to up, yeah. uh, amazing levels. And then, you know, Marvel is, you know, doing a Black Panther movie and hopefully doing more. And uh, I, I look at that and, and say that, yes, it's probably. Uh, a little late for this stuff to happen, but it's better late than never, I guess. So I would, I would definitely agree with your guys' sentiments wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting, at least on some level, you know, get out. Well, get out was actually quite a big success, even financially. Um, And the big sick for the level that it was made at, but not, you know, huge blockbuster or anything, but it's good to see that Hollywood may notice that there's an audience for these type of films and especially something like Black Panther, which is going to be a big blockbuster um, and a lot of people are excited about. It's cool that those uh, opportunities are showing up, like you said. I think that's really cool. I mean, I think the, I mean, the thing I think about um, is like if you look at like uh, like uh, the acceptance of like uh, colonial and post-colonial authors from like uh, places like India and, and um, other places uh, – like the literature world, like the Booker Prize and the Man Booker Prize, I mean, mm-hmm. they've been awarded for, um, you know, like I think of V.S. Naipaul, one of my favorite sort of Indian writers, mm-hmm. um, was awarded these things 20 and 30 years ago. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there was a, there was a, 
um, a recognition, I think, in literature of the of the value of the subaltern voice mm. um, um, a lot earlier than there was in cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see. I don't want to oversell, but it's interesting to see what it looks like for cinema to try to catch up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and to not and and to move beyond. Uh, I don't know, tokenism to like a serious contemplation. I mm-hmm. mean, one of the things that I, it didn't happen this year, but it was, um, I, I watched Moonlight yeah. um, for the first time this year. And one of the things that I, uh, it's a great film. I mean, and uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> one of the things I liked most about it was like, there's the, the really awesome scene where um, Omar is teaching the younger guy how to, to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what I liked about it is like, they didn't, give you this deep explanation about how swimming is really important for black people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just assumed that the people watching it get it, mm. um, which assumes that the audience is as either has had their experience themselves or is able to decode subtly what's going on. Um, and it's just, you know, if, if it were made 10 years earlier, there'd be this like, well, we need to explain to our audience right. like the, the relationship mm-hmm. of African Americans and water, and you know yeah. the tragedy of the Middle Passage, and all this other stuff. And this film's like, no, we're just going to do it because we're actually making a film that could be watched by um, like intelligent Black folks that know that know all this stuff. And mm-hmm. and if what and if other people don't get it, we don't care. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and in just like a, you know a foreign film, you know, is doesn't you know, explain everything. Um, and I, I just liked it because it was. Um, there were things in the film that I was like, oh, I, I didn't entirely, um, you know, it doesn't accord to my experience. Um, but I thought it was sort of amazingly done in the way that it didn't explain things to me. Like it didn't. It, it's yeah. so confident, the filmmaking. And yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. It doesn't talk down to the audience at all. And that's I think it's one of the strongest suits of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not speaking to the normal audience that would go see Hollywood films that were used yeah. that Hollywood thinks is the main audience. Uh, which is cool. And of course, I think we can also mention what's been dominating the news for sort of media and stuff lately. It started with Harvey Weinstein um, and that sort of windfall that's happening in Hollywood and, and hopefully other industries. We just I don't hear about it. Um, very and there's much. just the big Larry Nassar stuff today for the. Um... Yeah. So I think that is having an impact on the way people think, and we're seeing it affect awards shows. Um, and how people are treated. And in general, I just want, it's not actually on my list. I highly respect it, but Mudbound, the Netflix film, mm-hmm. um, is directed by a black woman, Dee Reese as well, and has a, a female cinematographer. And so I just love um, that those films are getting some sort of spotlight and we're hearing some different voices. And we may spend another episode maybe digging a little bit more into this, yeah. what's happening in Hollywood. But and maybe we'll we might talk about good art and bad people made by bad people. Yeah, complex uh, things. Um, <laughs> and even I mean, it's interesting that these established people that their careers may be ending. I mean, Woody Allen seems to be possibly pa- yeah fading pretty quickly. That even his not release movie yet, the actors are starting to denounce him. Yep. Um, before it's even out yet, so it, it's just really big changes. Uh, happening, I think, in the industry, it'll be interesting to see how that that all f- shakes out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I always carry on these social things, um, you know, but I was following like the um, uh, 
a lot of news today about Larry Nassar. He's this. Um, he was a, a doctor mm-hmm. for the um, at Michigan State University, also for the U.S. Uh, Olympic gymnastics yeah. team. Um, had been for uh, decades. Worked with the Corollis at the ranch for forever. I mean. Uh, full disclosure, I, I was obsessed with the Olympics when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I watched it obsessively. I had my like my entire room is sort of like Sports Illustrated wow. um, Olympics maps, um, so I know all these characters they talk about. Um, but I mean, he, I mean, like this uh, phenomenal judge where, where it was tried, like took uh, victim impact statements from like over a hundred and fifty mm. young women yeah. and, and women, and and it's like. And one of the things that was remarkable about the story, the only thing I'll mention here, is that there, like, there are folks that say, like, even though like over 150 women testified under oath, there mm-hmm. are still people that like doubt yeah. that it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, uh, I don't know, there, there's feels like there's some generational thing changing or having the opportunity to change. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, and and, and like and the, like they're talking about with um, Larry Nassar, which they talk about with Harvey Weinstein. It's not just this person, but mm-hmm. this entire. Uh, you know, physical enablers around them, and it's then, an institution. Like, yeah, yeah, and and in the and the way like the larger society sort of um, enables it. I mean, I know I don't like Harvey Weinstein, and there's this. Um, I, I will tell you on it one more thing. See, in in um, uh, there's an article that Selma Hayek wrote in the New York Times about her experience with him and mm-hmm. um, uh, the movie she was making about Frida Kahlo, I think called Frida. Um, and apparently, like Harvey Weinstein came to her and said, you know, among other things, like you have to have like a woman on woman sex scene in this film. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I, I don't want to do it. Uh, and she did, and she tells the story of how she went, and she like was she totally broke down. It was the only day she's ever gone to work and not been able to work. Mm-hmm. And my personal connection with it is like my wife introduced me to Frida Kahlo's work, and we watched various movies about her. And I remember watching that film and being like, oh, I really like this film. I mean, I'm really surprised that this sort of like Hollywood actor has this deep connection with these really cool Mexican artists. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's also part of a heritage, but I, you know, I, you know, it was great. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm always impressed when like artists I like, like art that I like. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it and I was like, what is this sex scene doing in the middle of this <laughs> film? Yeah. I'm like, it's not like, you know, and it's, it it's like, it, they're naked and it's mm. explicit. And I'm like, this is totally out of character with the rest of this film. Mm. And so, I mean, there's this thing that I've sort of always held on to that. Yeah. And then to find out the reason why that's in there is because of – because Harvey Weinstein wanted it in there. It just makes mm-hmm. me grumpy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also be able to see some of the transparencies of the, of the work, you know, that question mm-hmm. of like, you know – good art bad people um this is a question you know in this instance it's like well i mean like the art was made worse by your personal stuff in my opinion and i think selma kayak would agree to i mean she didn't want to have it in there as well but Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting to just note that i think we are sensing like we have maybe not a realistic view of like the actors and people but involved sort of in these films behind the scenes and it's good to sort of start to see like they have these inner lives and how it's affecting their work and um, what that means to a working condition because I I feel like this year I've also just heard a lot more about you know an on-set experience and what it's like Um, like coming out like talking about the Black Panther I've heard a few things that they just said it was just like so welcoming and everybody just enjoyed being on set with each other and some of that may be marketing, but, um, yeah, just changes to how those things happen, I think is never bad. So, uh, we we can sort of move on and come back to that another time, but yeah, I just wanted to mention, that... I think those are 
we can't really talk about the year without mentioning some of those bigger yeah. ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we'll just we'll just go to TV. Yeah. Um, at the top of TV, I got to throw in a plug for one of my favorite kids TV shows, which mm. is um, uh, Guillermo del Toro's genius uh, Troll Hunters. Um, uh, just in December, um, uh, Troll Hunters season two, Tales mm-hmm. of Acadia, yeah, uh, came out. Um, I'm about halfway through it, and it's great. I mean, so it's, I've still good. Yeah. I, yeah, I have, um, I don't know, waxed energetic about it um, <laughs> many times before. Um, and you know, the the second season picks up right where the first one left off, both in terms of story and in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot really recommend. Like every time someone's like, "Oh, I'm not sure what to watch with my kid," I'm like, "Okay, do you have Netflix?" Okay. You have to watch Troll Hunters. So it came out. It's great. I mean, I, I couldn't couldn't do a best of without mentioning it. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, one of the, the the next thing I'll mention, which is uh, something that was on my list, which is also on David's but not on yours, uh, was Glow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, have not had a chance uh, to check it glorious out. Glorious ladies of wrestling. I think um, it was something that um, my wife and I were sitting down and we're like, "What should we watch?" Mm-hmm. And we're like, "Oh, what is this?" You know. <laughs> um, and we flip it on, and you know, like. Two hours and like five episodes <laughs> later, you know, we're like, we're, 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 you know, we finish up a mm-hmm. couple episodes. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like Googling, and my wife's like, it, it was real. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I remember seeing it when <laughs> I, I was a kid. About that. <laughs> um, but it was a, I mean, it's a really fun show. Uh, the, the thing that I liked, thing that I sort of, one of the things that I liked most about it, um, was like the, the male director character, um, cause he has this, you know, because he has that like crazy futuristic, um, uh, like uh, story that he comes up with. You know, um, but I just I, I like the way he. I mean, I like the way he initially comes off as like a complete sleaze ball, mm-hmm. um, and it turns out he actually is sort of a, an avant-garde artist, mm-hmm. um, which was fun. It also it's also one of those things knowing that it's a real story and that it's based on real characters that it, it feels like it's a uh, one of those very honest things. Like, oh, he probably. It probably was that guy. Yeah. Um, and it also talks about, you know, f- to me speaks to, like, the compromise that you you make. Like, say you want to make crazy, you know, weirdo, socially conscious <laughs> horror films, um, and the only job you have available is ladies of wrestling. Um, <laughs> and, and you somehow manage to uh, blend your complex modern feminism as a man with this bunch of ladies jumping on the mat together <laughs> um but it was also one of those things um like uh, a film uh, the great documentary film beyond the mat about wrestling that uh there there are those of us who grew up i think watching wrestling um that there's there's a a, a kindred amongst others who did the same thing mm. And it's not just like the wrestling itself, but it's like everyone else who was watching wrestling too. Mm-hmm. Um, that creates the sort of community. Yeah. But uh, what did you? Uh, why did you make your list, David? So I think it's also important to note that some people, possibly on this podcast, still watch wrestling. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. But I do think that you know, in addition to some of the points you made, that this idea of identity also really plays into glow, which I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. It There's this slow build over the course of the, the, at least the first season of the series where everyone kind of gets their own silver lining out of what ultimately at face value seems like a compromise, I think is the word you used, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, and it really, there's this idea of empowerment and on face value, it seems really obvious. Like, yes, it's, it's women in the 1980s 
uh, otherwise subjugated to suburban housewife mom roles. And uh, you just look at the cast and some of the, the characterizations of these figures are just so remarkable. I mean, Alison Brie uh, is really stretching her chops, I think, in, in glow in, in ways yeah. that I haven't seen before. And, you know, I, I'm not just talking about community and Mad Men, but she, she's really kind of going to a darker place and she's finding strength in her in-ring uh, sort of Russian shtick of a character, which, again, is a nice sort of dovetail into that that Cold War 80s element of, of the background. Yeah. Uh, Betty Gilpin, who's sort of her... A former friend who you find out in the first episode uh actually her betty gilpin's husband uh, has a sort of brief affair with allison brie and betty gilpin and allison brie have a falling out because of that she ends up uh joining glow as a, another gorgeous lady of wrestling um she's this sort of has been soap star and again she is another one of these characters that are really sort of showing you this idea of compromise, this level of compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, my glory days are behind me. I'm doing this for, you know, a, a quick buck. And again, she's really leaning into her, her character. This, as a contrast to Alison Breeze, this uh, Lady Liberty type uh, archetype of, you know, American patriotism and, and the sort of Reagan era of, of chess beating and all of that. And um, Mark Maron's character, you know, the director, Jeremy, you brought him up too. Uh, really great. He, everyone sort of sees him almost as like a Herschel Gordon Lewis type figure, I mm. think. And he's more of, you know, no, I'm, I'm George Romero. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making socially conscious films and he sort of the least starts out as the least interested of anyone. And he just sort of comes into his own throughout the course of these episodes. And the, the, the soundtrack is superb. It, it really mm. never sort of looks down on the fact that this is a show about professional wrestling. It, 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 it treats it earnestly and lets the characters arrive at their own unique decisions and relationships with the content. And I was just, I, I, I completely fell in love with the show. I can't wait for mm. the next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, knew Alison Brie from community and Mad Men. And so I didn't really realize when that show came out that she was even in it. Um, cause she's not as easy to recognize in that. So I'm excited also, it's good to hear that she does a good job and does something interesting. Um, cause I was curious about her role in that. Show. And, and I'm also just a sucker for the, like the way, like the, the opening, I don't know, a couple scenes in which we recognize that her life is really quite a mess. Yes. Um, and I mean, like, I just, that is a great, like, I am totally hooked if somebody starts a story that way. <laughs> cause I mean, like, like, cause it, cause it's like, it could get totally worse, or it could get totally better. Yeah, um, but yeah. there's uh, there's nothing uninteresting about it. And, and I mean, and I also, I mean, and I like it when we see that happen to a female character, and and mm-hmm. the way she gets out of it is well, I mean, two things. One, she's not broken by the experience; she's fine, um, just right. like all other male all other male protagonists that are in situations like that. Um, you know, and she and she. Uh, she's definitely an imperfect character certainly at the beginning and she's like yeah i mean i'm okay you know stuff happens mm-hmm. to me and then it's like oh you're you've kind of been screwing this up on your own haven't you <laughs> well um, and mark Marin like hates her for yeah. a while which is great like he's visibly displeased and like disgusted with yeah. her like over eager personality well and i also like that um like you know the way he treats her it's like oh like is she Maybe she's not going to be on the show for very long, you know, because it, it's you know, it, um, you know, she's just hanging by the skin of her teeth there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I, uh, yeah, I love a good tip-in. And from the minute I saw her, like, life in shambles, like, 15 minutes into the first episode, I was like, I'll watch, what, two, you know, like, what, 30 of these? I'll watch whatever you want. You know, <laughs> just have her in it um, and have her go on some misadventures. Which I think I'll say that, um, well, it's something that I notice about, um, like, the TV shows that are coming out in this golden age of television. Um, I, I noticed that a lot of shows will, I don't know, put a, a lot of effort um, into the hook in the first episode or two. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that, that that certainly, it's just it seems like it's a different model than a pilot mm. and then like a yeah. short or, or longer first season because mm-hmm. most of these shows, they're already made. Right. But you already have 15, 20 episodes made. So they're, they're not convincing... Um, like a, a test audience that the idea might be marketable. Like they're convincing you to watch all 30 episodes. Right. Um, which I think is a nobler pursuit. Because mm. um, I think about even like some of my shows that I like most, the pilot is usually like a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I look at the pilot for like the X-Files, it's similar to, but the show goes a lot of different places. Mm. Um, where I feel like with a lot of the stuff that comes out now, like... I mean, Glow's first two episodes is a great selling point for the show that's been made. Hmm. Um, it doesn't, oh, yeah, it doesn't sell me on something that I'm not going to get satisfied on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's fun for me. Nice. Yeah, I just wanted to mention briefly, since you talked about how great television was <laughs> lately, uh, that I can't help not plug The Leftovers one more time mm-hmm. um, as we sort of wrap up the year. And hopefully, maybe Jeremy will finish the series and we can talk about it completely um but i did did watch season two in 2017 you did yeah uh and with that breath sort of also talking about twin peaks the return Mm -hmm. just mainly what i'll mention this time uh, with these shows is that in a lot of ways i found them more interesting and doing more exciting things than what i saw in film this year so i think it was still Mm. a good um year for movies but Nothing I saw was as fascinating as what I saw in The Leftovers and Twin Peaks. And taking more risks, um, I think both just like emotionally uh, with the characters and and what they did with them, and also the story-wise, just the, the narrative structures they were playing with and um, subverting expectations. Uh, I think both shows were just doing... Um, totally new and exciting stuff that I didn't see um, even in the film industry this year. So uh, I just want to plug those one more time, and I've talked about them um, otherwise. Uh, Along with the Glow sort of show, I don't know if you guys, I don't think you've seen it, but The Marvelous Miss Maisels on Amazon, the original show, um, is really great, and I had a lot of fun. I actually liked it more than my wife. Um, She had some squabbles with the, uh, um, which I can see, uh, same way thing with like Gilmore Girls because this is by the same yeah. um, creators that it is sort of focusing on this part of society that not a lot of people can identify with which is kind of like this upper crust um, sort of group of people and it's hard to uh, sort of see the problems they're having and identify with them. Um, when they've been raised with all this money and have all these opportunities yeah. and people still supporting them. Uh, but I think at least the, this new show addresses some of that. You see different yeah. levels of people in society. And uh, the main actress, who I'm forgetting her real name, but she's 
pretty amazing in the show. Um, just totally steals uh, every scene she's in, which is almost every scene. But yeah. Well, let's pause for a minute and uh, point the, the the microphone at David for a minute. Yeah. Uh, so e- Eli makes this claim in twenty seventeen, the, the 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 better the more innovation was in television as opposed to film. Thoughts? <laughs> um. At face value, I'm inclined to disagree, but I'm also going to say that like I don't watch as much TV as I watch film. Mm. I think to to sort of demure on your question, I think that TV is catching up to film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I just for some reason this year when I was putting together a list, I was more excited about the television that I watched, and I think in the past I haven't really been into watching as much television either, and. As I mentioned previous on this show, both Leftovers and Twin Peaks I watched on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. as they came out instead of sort of binging things, which as we do now. Um, And it was a totally different experience, which was really enjoyable Um, just to have on a weekly basis the conversations back and forth um, with the Leftovers my wife and I were talking about it throughout every week, and then after, when the show ended, this was the final season of the series this year, uh, I think for at least two weeks, we would have a conversation every day about the show, like bringing out something new. Um, and I, I don't know that I've had that kind of interest and excitement in a show, or show or film, um, that we've seen this year. So hmm. that was pretty cool. Uh, I think to, to continue on... Um, we all had Stranger Things 2 probably on our list, Yeah, is from what it seems. And we did do an episode on that. But um, maybe, David, what, what do you, would you mention as what you appreciated about that show? So quick caveat, I'm like 75% of the way through the second season. But you don't need to worry about spoilers because uh, I have sort of spoiled myself on that. Spo- oh, uh, okay. but what, the, the reason I did include it on my list, though, is because I feel like... Um, and I'm probably in the minority on this. Mm-hmm. Season one was a bit of a mixed bag for me. I know you guys talked about how uh, on your, at least your Stranger Things 2 podcast, mm-hmm. how it, it uses uh, the sort of the nostalgia factor in, in interesting ways. I think, Jeremy, you mentioned it talks about this idea of like uh, the, the, the pop culture and IPs that it's riffing on are always about divided worlds, right? Like yeah. the, the Goonies and, and mm-hmm. you know, we're encountering aliens now or treasure and all that stuff. I felt like the first iteration of this show didn't commit to that enough. It felt mm-hmm. like they were teasing it a little bit. They dipped uh, a toe in the water. But this second series, the second go around really felt like they were doing more with that conceit uh mm-hmm. it just felt like they they cranked the volume to 11 um i really enjoyed what they were doing with uh Elle's character and mm-hmm. her relationship with david harbour and how she wasn't just relegated to flashbacks the entire time which felt yeah. really kind of uh energizing to me mm-hmm. um another thing i really appreciated is getting back to this idea uh, about, you know, the marvelous Maisels that you were talking about earlier, Eli, mm-hmm. uh, just using uh, a deliberate time period and kind of uh, in contrast to that, being more incisive about what it's saying. This is set in the eighties and, you know, it's white mm-hmm. people in suburbia and it's really easy for us to talk about how, you know, uh, isn't it great playing with He-Man toys and, you know, <laughs> Reaganomics and, and all that stuff. And 
this second go around of Stranger Things really takes a look at that and, and uses this idea of the upside down as a critique of a lot of what was going on in the 80s because it wasn't a rosy time for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh, the AIDS epidemic and uh, increasing wage gaps and uh, the, the sort of the fallout from the Cold War and this this whole idea that, you know, crime is rising and we're in this little bubble because everyone's sitting around and playing with Star Wars action figures. <laughs> and I, I really liked how it, again, just committed to this idea of critiquing that that time and place. And I'm, I'm just, you know, only a, a few episodes left, caveat, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm really digging this this second series of the show here. Yeah, you're in for some some good solid episodes at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised how dark the second season really went and how much it pushed these characters um, into harder places. Because I think it did really, coming out of the first season, it had this reputation of just being like a fun nostalgia trip. Um, you know, point out the references. But this season... Uh, you know, it was not always easy to watch what these kids were going through. And, and I do also have to give them credit for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing that I'll say, I mean, um, I would definitely agree that the second season um, very clearly knows what it's doing or mm-hmm. knows what it's trying to do from the very get-go. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the first season, like, we, we mill about in the real world with teen trauma and stuff for a yeah. little bit before we really – have any contact with the solidity of this other world Mm -hmm. and the second season it's like yeah okay boom right Right. and you and you get right to um the the conflict the other world all the sort Mm -hmm. of stuff um and i find it satisfying um i do i i I do still like the meandering in the first one Mm -hmm. but that's just i mean i i don't necessarily know that i could like defend that from a (laughs) like an aesthetic standpoint i just um i like the experience of watching a show and not knowing like what genre are we in like Mm -hmm. what what are what exactly is going to happen here Mm -hmm. um uh which you can only uh, you know like no one you can't really ever do that again that's sort of like a once through (laughs) kind of experience um Mm -hmm. but i also do i mean I i also just appreciate that the second season is good um and a little rushed in production, I think that's fairly obvious. But um, there's a you know there's a lot of things in the world in the history of things that have more than one season and things that have more than one movie that uh, they don't get better over time. No, they don't do that. Um, and so th- there's some element of that that's like oh like they're you know they clearly have um, uh, you know they could very solidly make a very good second season and have set themselves up for more. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think they did a great job of continuing the story of these characters and pushing it to new places. And I, I don't know exactly how to explain how it pulls this off, but I have talked to some people who try to watch it and they're just like, it's just all references. And (laughs) I don't. I feel like it, it it does so much better than that that I you you see some of those things, but I feel like it's still telling its own story in its own mm-hmm. way that it the, is entertaining uh, in of itself, um, and and certainly those those things add to it. It you know we wouldn't view it in the same way without those references, but it just stands um, alone. I think in of itself. Well, there there's yeah. I I want to say something now that uh, that's a 
weirdly enough. But so um, <laughs> there's a thing that I was thinking about when we watched The Shape of Water. Have you seen The Shape of Water, David? I have not yet. No. Okay. Uh, what I'm about to say, you don't need you don't need to see it to have seen it. But so like um, in The Shape of Water, there's 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 almost always these. Um, classic Hollywood films playing in the background. Mm. Our, our characters are located above uh, a cinema on um, which the story of Ruth is playing at various points through the story. Um, and they're watching like, you know, uh, like Greta Garbo, Fred Astaire, these, mm. these early sort of tap dancing things. There's some Shirley Temple in there. Yeah. And it's, it's just chocked full of all of these sort of classic Hollywood Americana references. Um, and for me, there's a point at which I, I say so I take Stranger Things and I take you know, uh, in this case, Shape of Water, but it could be any other film that does that because there are plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, it's just a generational difference in the references. Uh, whatever it happens in literature too, where like, you know, for a while it's like, oh, like your paintings and writings have to be references to a millennium ago, mm-hmm. um, and then people are like, no, like let's reference the world around us. Like let's talk about the things that happen generationally in our world. There's a way in which I look at those references, you know, and people are like, oh, like Stranger Things just references. I'm like, no, it's just like references to modern things mm. um, as opposed to classic things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the like fierce, grumpy artist in me is like, you know, why does it have to be this subset of canon mm. that we that, that is okay to reference and it's not nostalgia? Like right. it's, that, that stuff about Hollywood, it's not nostalgia. It's just uh, using a common vocabulary that everyone has. Because um, I would say that that's the same for Stranger Things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a smaller, you might say that it's a smaller vocabulary, but it's also just a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like it's it it's a much more easily identifiable demographic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think as well, like your reference to The Shape of Water, those elements of sort of classic Hollywood musicals and um, are in contrast to the sometimes harsher story and. It is yeah. Guillermo del Toro, so we know there's going to be some good sort of gore and creature stuff and some darker things. And I think it's playing with a contrast. And also, uh, Stranger Things 2, I think, is doing the same thing. Like, it's making some of these sort of scary moments playful in its references, but they're also going through some really traumatic and hard things. And Elle is dealing with a lot of dark things um whether she is going to use her powers to hurt people or to help people things like that which i think is is doing something a little more interesting than it could have done yeah just being sort of uh just sort of fun in that sense we can move on from there i know david and i had on both on our list um mind hunter and I was really surprised by this show. I think I did mention it on an earlier episode, so I won't spend a lot of time um, talking through it. But it was somewhat surprising at times, at least by the last episode. I really liked what it did in those final moments to subvert sort of what came before what we thought might be happening. And it was one of the most, like binge-worthy shows I watched, I think, this year, mm-hmm. that I, I probably watched it one of the fastest. Yeah, like an official, like, Eli Stingler's most binge-worthy. Most binge-worthy, yeah. It's my new um, catchphrase. Uh, so what um, drew it to you, David? I think subversion hits it right on the head, Eli, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Uh, I, I felt like a lot of the hype for me was just David Fincher, crime story. Like, oh, right. man, I'm in. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't 
just that it, it wasn't you know 10 episodes of like seven redux it was right. talking about process and and academia and you know foundations behind criminal science and and institutions and there's this sort of cathartic build up that you get over the course of you know 8 or 10 episodes uh by by virtue of focusing on process and traveling around and you know the local grind and and really diving in and mm-hmm. out of these different compelling and and horrific obviously uh serial murderers um yeah. i just found it to be this really interesting reversal of of what i thought i wanted and i think mm-hmm. the the manner in which the show tries to delve into the psyche of these the the subjects but also the people that are doing the research it, is right in my wheelhouse in terms of getting into reflexive media and, you know, meta narratives and, and really looking back at uh, a country that has decidedly been so obsessed with, you know, uh, you know, true detective and American crime story and all these anthology shows and really assessing uh, what we're doing and why we're so fascinated. It it was less bloody and and, and gory than I was expecting, but Again, it's uh, that's a a great way to 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 get me hooked is is really using the serialized storytelling in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, don't know if I mentioned this before, but I I was also surprised that kind of seeing David Fincher's progression that I was expecting a lot more sort of violence and um, suspense from these killers and stuff, and there really mm-hmm. was like none of that. Right. But yet it was, I did find a lot of tension in those conversations Mm -hmm. with some of these killers and maybe more so than actually seeing them committing these acts. The, the psychological tension I think with these characters was even more well done. So I think that shows a lot of growth for David Fincher. He didn't direct every episode, but was behind it. Um, So I think that was surprising for, for me as well. Yeah. I would add this, like, I haven't seen the show. I've only heard you guys talk about it. Yeah. Um, but one of the like moments in American cinema that I, I uh, sort of always come back to when it when it comes to crime, whether it be like real crime, I mean like shootings that are happening or uh, serial killers, mm-hmm. is uh, in Silence of the Lambs, which I watched as as I was a kid. Now and I and um, it's like great kids film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when I was a, <laughs> when a you were teenager, younger. Yeah, yeah. younger. Um, and one of the things that always surprised me that I would, I would, I would say to people, I was like, we love Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. He's not an antagonist. Um, mm-hmm. He is a hero. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I despise the fact that he's a hero. And they're like, what are you talking <laughs> about? I'm like, we, like, as an audience and as a nation, we love him mm-hmm. because he only eats the proud. <laughs> like we're not scared of him. Yeah. He's not scary like Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. He's a, a grand and noble and glorious person. Mm. Um and I think that there's you know and 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 if you look historically at like um all the various stories that are told about like the rise of you know the modern serial killer Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. there's like there's a, a sense that there's like a, an audience that has an appetite for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um and uh I mean I it's sad and morbid of me but i mean like i just read a new york times article today that said that like today marks the 11th school shooting and it's january 23rd um in yeah, the united I states saw that too. um mm-hmm. and there's you know like there's and i remember watching i think it's david cronenberg's film a history of violence um which starts with this really startling adult shooting a child mm-hmm. um and a very weird and complicated movie yeah. but it'd be interesting mm-hmm. um I, I just um there's always been i feel like this 
I don't even know the word duplicity or mm-hmm. like hypocrisy about um, violence in the United States because mm-hmm. we love it. I mean, yeah. like we like can't get enough Obviously, of it. Yeah. Um, and we, but we also say like, no, like we think it's horrible, but mm. we also have a near insatiable appetite. I mean, one of the things that I was always like, I used to watch, I'm just talking about stuff now, but I, I used to watch Law and Order and I loved that show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like there was a point at which I'm like, okay, you know, like I've seen enough like weirdo murders, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of done. Right. You know, like I've, right. I've had my fill of that. Um, and like, and that wasn't even the golden age of crime shows. I mean, mm-hmm. and then it was like, you know, I, NCIS, right, yeah. Las Vegas, yeah. Moon Station or whatever, you know, and there's just like, you know, the, the glut of an entire generation of like reality television slash, mm-hmm. um, stuff. And I was like, you know, and, and a lot of it has this issue where like, we're not going to sh- you know, like it, uh, like using it as a vehicle to, to show like, uh, sexualized violence against women on television. And I was like, I, you know, I, it's, it's, um, it's something that I a little bit view as an outsider, yeah. and it's like, like uh, it's always interesting to see this uh, strange relationship, but both mm-hmm. an appetite for and a condemnation of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something, incidentally, that as we get to talk about film, that um, uh, James Baldwin talks about a number of times in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, in his encounters with America. Yeah, you know, there's it's this, a really good clip of him. I think it's on the Tonight Show talking, and he's like, I don't know if. Like trade unions hate me, but I know that I can't be a part of them, you know. And and even <laughs> right. though like people say one thing, there's this sort of fundamental experience of it that's another way. And so, and I don't know if that's part of what happens in Mine Hunters, but um, anytime there's a a movie or a show about serial killers, there's always this like part of me that's like, oh yeah, I mean maybe we, you know, I mean, but like they have a place of heroic um, mm-hmm. uh, honor, yeah, um, in our general collective mm-hmm. cultural psyche. Yeah, I liked uh again using that term subversion of our expectations like uh the character in the show Dr. Wendy Carr who kind of joins the team of these two men um to study serial killers uh when she sort of she has to move to the new town to work um with the FBI and so she's in like this new building and uh they could keep coming back to her like going to the basement where she they do the laundry in the building and it's very pl- much played uh for like suspense i feel like um in sort of the dark david fincher way and she starts like feeding this um cat that's living in like the ducks and stuff and and i just kept like thinking like oh one of the killers is gonna like come attack her and is like secretly spying on her in her building and i feel like they were setting up those sort of expectations but eventually like nothing happens to her um and it it just was like oh this is just about like her loneliness and Mm. her sort of dealing with um how to handle her um sexual identity and um her work life and what that means at that time period and and sort of this sort of yeah, just this internal um, strife that she's having. And I thought that was a really mature, um, kind of bold move. Mm. And, and and I like the way that they portrayed it um, yeah. in those moments. When I first came into the show, I was fully expecting, like, the opening to Zodiac, where you see these really grisly murders. Uh-huh. And it's yeah, definitely yeah. more the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal goes into the basement and says, there aren't a lot of houses in California with basements. And then he runs out and nothing happens. Like, it's right, very right, much yeah. like... We, yep. we, we've established tension, but no one's actually getting a knife stuck in them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Cool. So that's a, that's a great one to suggest. That's on uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. um, one of their original series. I just wanted to mention briefly uh, Legion, um, and I probably could have thrown this in the category of sort of experimental TV. Uh, I think Noah Howley is doing great stuff on television with Fargo, um, the TV series, and then now released Legion. Um, as a superhero show that's very unorthodox and very strange, and I'm not even sure like I understand what was happening all the time. I don't know if you guys have heard much or are very familiar with it. Um, but I saw the first two episodes and I was first, like, what is going on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it continues to get weirder and uh, more sort of mind bending. Uh, and we have sort of eventually like really like an anti-hero um, superhero who has the these strong powers. Um, and it is in like the X-Men world, I guess. Um, but is nothing like the X-Men things we've seen in movies um, or even television. So I, I don't know that I, like, ultimately love the show, um, but I have to give it a lot of credit for what it's attempting to do. And I actually didn't get a chance to see Fargo Season 3 yet, but I plan to watch it when I get a chance, and I'm looking forward to that as well, hear good things about it. Uh, do you want to throw something off your list, David, that you mentioned? Did you have any other TV just a quick about? plug for uh, the little TV show that could, uh, you may have heard of it, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, one of the lesser known. So, right. I, you know, again, I, I don't know that how much needs to be said about the show that it seems like 75% of America is already talking about. I will uh-huh. just say that I've, I've learned to personally appreciate the show from a different perspective. I, I think that somewhere uh, in season six, which mm-hmm. is not this past season, but the season before it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the show kind of become became a fundamentally different series. It, it went sort of away from this cerebral, uh, plotty kind of, you know, character sitting around and drinking wine and, and, and thinking of <laughs> uh, malevolent things to do to each other and became really pulpy. And, and, and mm-hmm. I think the sort of broad strokes fantasy that it's going for now with you know, all the the idea that the sort of the world is coming to an end is 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 structurally a little bit sloppier and and not as intriguing thematically as the show once was. But I right. guess I'm I'm sort of learning to appreciate zombie dragons now in a way <laughs> that I didn't think I would before. But it sounds like you guys have touched on this before already too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think Jeremy's keeping up with it. I, I have seen zero Game of Thrones. I might have mentioned it. I, I mean, I think I'm with you a lot. I've never been like a diehard um, Game of Thrones fan, actually. I feel like some seasons I've just kind of been like, I have HBO for free for a couple of months. I guess I'll watch <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, I guess I'll catch up with this. And I think for me in those some those past seasons before like you said it does get a little pulpier and more fantasy driven i felt like it's one of those things that it was trying to say deep things or get at these more internal things but i didn't really connect with those in the show like it was trying to be more pretentious than it was actually saying something and so i've enjoyed where it's going where I can not I can no longer be afraid that like if I like a character or appreciate that they did something like noble that they're going to die 
and within the next couple oh. episodes. <laughs> so, so season one, episode nine really scarred you, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and continued on through the next seasons. Yeah, so I I agree. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily like a better show now, but it is maybe more entertaining to watch. <laughs> sure, I would um, agree with you on that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I think that's I a mean, good point. My perspective is uh, I'll make it short as short as I can make it. Um, I like I'm like an I'm pretty much like an an uber nerd geek, you know. Like I mean, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You know, I mean, like uh, I read you know all sorts of weird fantasy novels that no one's ever heard of. Um, and uh, and I remember when the new Battlestar Galactica came out and be like, mm. oh my god, it's like finally for us, like finally a show <laughs> for us, us people. Yeah. And. <clears throat> And that was true for like about the pilot. And then it just turns into this like just almost unbearable. Like a soap opera. Yeah. That yeah. just, you know, and like Guy's Balter needs to die. I mean, like there's all these, all these like huge problems. And it just becomes like, you know, like a space opera. Like it, mm-hmm. it is a soap opera um, that has some character appeal and a cool concept in the, in the pilot. Um, for like a gener- like for like a, 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 like a particular generation of nerds that is very is not discerning. Yeah, and it was and by the end I was like just insulted that it existed and they thought I wanted to watch it. I'm mm-hmm. like, tell me like, I, I fine fine. I'm gonna fast forward through these episodes because I want to see when because I want to know who the damn Cylons are and that's yeah. it. You know, oh you made it to Earth. Oh it's not really Earth. That's your gimmick. <laughs> How much of the show is left? Um, and so uh, I've never read the Wheel of Time books, which is the famous sort of mm-hmm. um, massively sprawling series of books. Um, and I asked my older brother, who's like a bigger nerd than I am, and I said, "Should I read those?" And he's like, "Nah, don't start. <laughs> or read like the first two, but like you, you know, there's it's such a sprawling world, mm-hmm. and the writer just keeps writing and writing that it's just too much." Yeah. Um, and so, and then the then like Game of Thrones came out, and he's like, it's like, "Game of Thrones, like finally, it's the show for us." Yeah. And I was like, I did this with Battlestar Galactica, man. Like, I don't, you know. And I understand that I hear it's much, it's a much better show. Um, I'm gonna wait till it's all done and buy it on discount Blu-ray on yeah. um, eBay and watch it. Um, there's just, there's also this, and I think I may be turning my nose up. That may be partially what's happening. Mm. This sense of like, you know, like. We're uber nerds. Like we, we were not cool in the eighties mm-hmm. and nineties. It's it's now cool right. to you know like it's now cool to yeah. throw like sex and swords and dragons and stuff mm-hmm. and like it's oh like people watch it. But I'm like, this used to be basement dweller stuff. You know, like it's not <laughs> it's not meant for the light of day. Yeah. Um. And and I just you know and I feel like there's interminable compromises that are made to make it uh, for a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Um. And it has all the makings of everything that I would love. Um. But I I just couldn't. And I, I, don't, I don't know if it's because other people Didn't liked it so yet. much um, mm-hmm. or like everyone's like, it's the greatest show ever. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I just there's, I just got, I couldn't do it. That's <laughs> the whole story. I would say a good comparison is with Battlestar Galactic because I always feel like with both of those shows, they would like save their budget for like a couple of points in the episodes, season. Yeah, yeah, like the big, like some space battles and then in Game of Thrones, like. Or they're like, oh, we gotta have some talking for a few episodes and some sex. And yeah, because then... we got we gotta make. And then we can have a big. Battle. People are cheap. Dragons are expensive. You yeah, know. Exactly. But... Um, so they they structure it that way. I, the 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 one last thing I want to say before we go um to uh something else. I have one last thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this I'll just make a plug and say um it's not I 
I guess it's television, but I watched mm-hmm. uh, Dave Chappelle's two comedy specials. Okay. Um, and they're, they're certainly controversial, and I think legitimately so. Um, but I also think uh, they are um, uh, making some really important social commentary. Mm. And I think they are a, a complex, multi-layered statement on various issues and, and a complex engagement with uh, challenging topics transgender issues me too race relations a whole bunch of stuff yeah. um and i i have yet to really read a review um in a major publication that i think does them justice i've mm-hmm. been put off put off disappointed um in most of the reviews that i read of them because they were dismissive of them yeah um which is not to say that i don't think there's uh room to criticize for the way he talks about transgender folks or the or other sorts of things um but i like i i, f- I mean a moderately careful reading, I think, indicates that there is a, a great deal of complexity present, mm-hmm. um, even on the issues at which, like, it's legitimately controversial. Um, he also has this, I just, he's this amazing 20 minutes at the end of the second one, um, where he talks about this uh, book, it's a biography of an American pimp called Pimp. It <laughs> um, tells her about a man named Iceberg Slim. Um, as a roundabout way of telling a story about why he left the Chappelle show, which is, mm-hmm. I think, one of the more important uh, moments in black television um, or television in general, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I read, I think, I think two reviews that, like, didn't even mention it. Hmm. Um, and I was like, I-, I don't know what you were trying to do, <laughs> but there's a whole th- – there's a, some big chunks of really important stuff in there, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, I read a couple articles and I was like, oh, like, she's doing stuff again? It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and so I, I watched them um, and was uh, really taken. I mean, especially in an age where we have Louis C.K. and a bunch of other people that I used to love. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah. you're doing this stuff in your private life. Um, that, uh, you know, he sort of like sort of starts where all that sort of stuff ends mm. um, and wades into a lot of complicated things. And it, it, it was um, and it was good to see. Yeah. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, I can't say like, oh, my God, I totally love Dave Chappelle and everything he does is perfect. <laughs> um, right. But I do think. I would just, I mean, for those of, if all you read about it is that he um, says controversial and not kind things about transgendered folks, um, I would urge you to listen to these, um, at least the first one where he talks about that, because he talks about that and like addresses um, encountering people that have a problem with the way that he talks about transgendered folks and talks about the the intersectionality of um uh, black and transgender and about a lot of other things um mm-hmm. as comedy but also yeah. in a sophisticated way so um I, I was really pleasantly surprised with how uh, interesting and thoughtful they were hmm. if not perfect yeah netflix seems to be like doubling down on their uh comedy yeah the comedy specials and things like that i don't know if everybody knows about that as well um cool i just wanted to mention one last thing for tv and then we'll move on to film a big surprise for me this year was watching Little Big Lies. I so watched it with my wife, and we had sort of like kind of talked about watching it, and then we finally did. And I have to admit, like for whatever reason, usually I'm sort of the one that suggests things we watch, and I was like, well, maybe she'll be more into this than some other things that I suggest. But the show really surprised me in the way that it like sucked me in so much. Uh, it did sort of tend towards some melodrama i think more than i normally prefer Mm. um but eventually it played with some of these expectations and genre conventions in a way that i really liked 
it is sort of a backward mystery that right away we know someone dies, but the mystery is like, who is the person that dies? Mm. Not necessarily finding like the killer or something like that, but the whole first season, you're you don't know who is the person that actually died. So it's a really unique um, conceit from the beginning. And so we have to kind of wonder, like, who committed the crime out of these cast of characters Mm -hmm. that we start to get to know. Um, So it's an unorthodox murder mystery and a character study at the same time. And by halfway through, I I really couldn't stop watching it. And it was also probably one of the most tense viewing experiences I've had in a while. And tense in a weird way where it would just be like two people sitting on couches talking to each other. And I would, like, find myself, like oh, that episode's almost over. They've been mostly talking, but I'm, like, literally, like, gripping the edges of, you know, my chair, and I didn't even realize, like, that was happening. So I think a lot of that is due to the great female cast in this show, and especially Nicole Kidman had some of those great um, tense moments. Mm. Reese Witherspoon, I think, plays a little bit with her persona that she sort of put out there and, and sort of undermines that at the same time. Um, She sort of plays up a lot more of the type of characters that she's known for doing, um, but gives that that character some humanity at the same time. I also really liked the elliptical style of the editing in certain sequences. I wasn't really expecting it to have that sort of style. Like, usually at the beginning and the end of the episodes, we just see, like, all kinds of different images kind of flowing together that create more like a mood... Um, than just like a straight narrative and we kind of have to put those pieces together of what's happening. So it seems like it's more motivated some of the editing by like memory which does play into by the end um, an important factor sort of the memory of these characters. Um, But that I think for me just conveys more like emotion in in the way that it's edited. And so it was a lot more experimental than I expected and I think probably people watching the scene like with a big like Hollywood stars in it for uh, HBO show, people were maybe expecting something a little more mainstream, um, but it was doing some cool stuff. They, and Meryl's wa- coming in for season two, right? So Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when we, when it first came out, I think I had heard that it was a limited series. They were sort of promoting it. And then by the time we watched it a little bit later in the year, they had already said, well, like, now we're doing season two. And I don't think they need a season two. I don't think they should do that. And hopefully they will um, prove me wrong and it will be interesting, but it just seemed like it should have been complete uh, with that first season. They do leave it open, but it almost seemed like something that was tacked on maybe even like halfway through the season, they realized that it was being it was quite popular and then they're like we gotta we gotta roll this over into second season so um did you watch it david or i haven't yet it's on the to-do list though Oh, okay yeah so i highly recommend that one hey i just want to jump in quick and thank you for listening to part one of our best of 2017 episode be sure to come back next week for the second part of our series on the best film of 2017.